0: Good morning. morning. It's always a pleasure to be with the Marathon class. Um, I affectionately refer to many of you as the Marathon Mafia. And uh, Nancy Pensack, who's a member of this class, came up to me, uh, smart as a whip, and said, Why do you call us the Marathon Mafia? Do you think we're a bunch of thugs? And I said, No, you're like family. And so... At Avantel, we truly view this class, and many of you in this class, as family. We've had several board members in this class, uh, Taylor and Rex, to name a few. Volunteers, longtime friends like Carol Lawton, and of course, Mary Margaret's right on the team. So uh, we're just very thankful for you guys. So what I want you to do is write down the date of April 26th. April 26th. We're gonna have our uh, we're gonna have our 45th anniversary dinner, and we want you to come. Think of it as a family reunion. Many of you guys, pray for us, support us, and we want to show you that we appreciate you. We'd love for you to come. It's April the 26th at six o'clock at the Crown Plaza in Addison, Texas. Now, many of you guys are writing down fervently. Larry Moyer is coming next week, and he's going to bring an official invitation for each and every one of you. So if you're coming next week, don't worry about writing it down. He's coming next week. And one thing I've learned at Avant it is always better to go before Larry than to try to follow after Larry. (laughs) So with that in mind, let me open us in prayer. Father, we love you so much. And Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. Um, I thank you for, that you know right where they are, uh, the challenges they face, the joys they experience, you know them uh, so intimately, God. And I thank you for the message uh, that you've laid on my heart this morning. And Father, um, I know that you are all-powerful, almighty, and that the Holy Spirit can take the message that you have given me. And meet that person that's in this audience right where they are and apply it to their life. So I just turn this over to you. May the people here hear the Lord Jesus. May he speak to their heart. And may you provide everything they need to do what you're asking them to do as a result. We love you. May your name be glorified today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in... Um, And by the way, our speaker for that event is James Emery White. And you may be thinking, who is that? He is the pastor of the Mecklenburg Church in Charlotte. And he is the leading authority on reaching the upcoming generations. Some of you are trying to figure out Generation X, um, the millennials. And then Generation Z that's coming up. And you're thinking, how can I relate to my grandkids and their friends? Um, He is the leading expert on how to reach those folks. So we'd love to have you come, fellowship with us, hear more about Avantel for those of you who don't know us. But you'll also get some wise counsel and wise words about how to relate to and reach the upcoming generations, even in your own family. Our text today is found in the Gospel of Mark. And it's in chapter four, and we're going to start in verse uh, 35. So Mark 4:35. and I'll read the text for you for the day. It says, "On the same day when e- evening had come, Jesus said to them, "Let us cross over to the other side." Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea Obey him. God bless the reading of his word. As you can tell, I'm not originally from Dallas, Texas. I am from East Tennessee, right outside of Chattanooga. How many of you remember the Chattanooga Choo Choo? All right. So I live about thirty miles away uh, in a town I lived in a town called Cleveland. And East Tennessee means. Mountains. People ask me all the time, what are the two or three things you miss about Tennessee out here in Texas? Well, I miss the mountains and I miss my family. So Tennessee, East Tennessee means mountains, the great smoky mountains many of you have been to. Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga where where several uh, Civil War battles were fought. It's a great place to visit. So East Tennessee means mountains and mountains for me means hiking. I absolutely love to hike. And one of, the, um, one of the last places that I hiked before we moved out here in 2001, we took a hike to a place called Jack's Falls. Jack's Falls. Now, I don't know who Jack is or what he did to be named after those falls, but um, I don't know who he is, but I'll never forget those falls because of what I'm getting ready to tell you. Jack's Falls is in a county called Polk County in Tennessee. And probably every stereotype you have about Tennessee is true in Polk County. They're they, they known for two things. One is the Okoy River, which is a wild water river um, that people come from all over the nations to go rafting and canoeing down. And the other thing Polk County is known for is moonshine. So when you hike in Polk County, you have to be very, very careful not to get off of the path. Because a moonshine still is not something that you want to find. It's hidden for a reason. So we went to Jack's Falls, and my brother-in-law who's very mischievous, organized the trip. There were 15 of us. It was my wife's family. We're all going to go to Jack's Falls. We had just had our first child. I had the whole baby carrier ready. She was in the baby carrier. He checked the weather. Perfect day. We started off to Jack's Falls and hiked about three miles, got there. It was absolutely beautiful. And many of you have seen movies with the beautiful waterfall. I guess they were 18 feet up. It was just wonderful. They had rocks at the bottom where we had a picnic not a cloud in the sky it was a perfect day so we stayed at jack's falls about an hour and a half and finally my brother-in-law gets up he likes to lead things and he said okay it's time to go home and right when he said that we heard the i heard the loudest sound of thunder that i had ever heard and i looked up and all of a sudden this dark cloud black as pitch starts rolling in so we are just scrambling to get everything together, get my daughter ready. We're getting ready to head back. And right when we started up the hill, guess what it did? It started to rain. And it wasn't even the kind of rain. You know how it rains just a little and, you know, you're trying to, if you're a woman, you're trying to cover your head. It was shower rain. It was like standing in your shower, turning on the faucets, and it just hit you. You were soaked after 10 seconds. And it just kept raining and raining and raining. And after about 200 feet, we heard more thunder. And all of a sudden, we heard lightning striking up on the ridge. I mean, it was so crazy and so unpredicted. We had no idea. We just just had to hold our head down and move forward. And my niece, who was with us, she was about four years old, kept turning around looking at me saying, but, but Uncle David, God promised. Uncle David, God promised. And you know, we're going through about a foot of water. That, we were in a we valley, and it was just crazy. And I kept saying, why does she keep reminding me, asking me why God promised? What's that about? And we got to the end, and I finally asked her, I said, what are you talking about, Victoria? And she said, God promised never to flood the earth again. <laughs> so I'll never forget that day. Because it was a situation that we could not predict. It was a situation that we could not avoid. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And we just had to go through it. And it was a situation we could not control. We were out in the middle of nowhere. Well, we know in North Texas, sometimes the weather changes and we have no control over it. But you know what? And I'll refer to that as a storm. A storm is a situation you didn't predict, you can't avoid it, and you can't control it. But it not only has to do with the weather. Guess what? Sometimes we experience storms of a different kind in our life. Maybe it's a sudden job loss or a sudden change in our economic situation. Maybe it's maybe it's a bad diagnosis that we receive that hits us right between the eyes. We weren't expecting it. And all of a sudden, here it comes, it hits. And we have to deal with it. Or maybe it's another set of difficult circumstances that you can't avoid, you can't run, you can't hide. You just have to deal with the situation. Now here's the deal. whether you're, If you're here today, you're probably just coming out of a storm. You're getting ready to go into a storm or you are right in the middle of a storm. And maybe you're in a storm today, and no one else in this room knows you're in that storm, but you and the Lord. No one else in this room knows. And you know what? I find that the older that I get and the older people get, the more storms you endure. Why? Because when your children and your grandchildren go through hard times and storms. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me it's like I'm going through the same storm right there with them. So lesson today, very quickly, is how to weather a storm. The disciples, through this passage, went through a literal storm. And it starts there in verse 35 and says, On the same day, let me stop there. The same day, from sun up to sundown, Jesus and the disciples had been teaching, healing, ministering to people, pouring out their heart and soul to the people that were following them. And at the end of that day, guess what? They were worn out. So on the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And he's referring to a lake. And what I believe he's getting, there, getting at is, let's, often Jesus is saying, let's go away to a quiet place. Let's get away for a little while and rest. So they get on the boat, and it says, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. They all get in the boat. They shove off. The boat was about 27 feet long, 5 feet wide, about 8 feet high and it had a stern in the back that set up above that was covered. So they all get on this boat and they go out, I believe with the intention to relax. Now let me take you back in time see how many of you know this. Do you remember a certain show that was on TV many years ago where they went on a Three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. <laughs> Gilligan's Island, right? The professor, Marianne, the skipper, Gilligan, the movie star, they all get on this boat for a three-hour tour to go and relax. But what happened? The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the f- courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. Okay, won't say any more about that. They got lost for seven or eight years uh, on this island. I don't recommend the show. I mean, it's a good show. I used to watch it when I was little. But a storm hits. They go out to relax. They're crossing over the lake. It was about a five-mile journey. And right in the middle of the, the lake, a storm hits. And it was a whopper. It says in verse 37, And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling so they got rain coming from the sky they got waves coming into the boat and they had i'm sure they were trying to bail out and and they were trying to bail the water out of the boat but you know what for every one bucket they threw out guess what three more came in have you ever felt like that in life When you just dealt with one problem, but three more come your way. You ever felt that way? That's how the disciples felt. So, you know, they're they're doing the best they can. And these were seasoned fishermen. You know, James, John, Peter, these are guys that had seen a thing or two. But this adjective, great windstorm, that means it was a whopper. It was like the perfect storm. So it's filling it. Now notice this. The disciples are running around panicking. They're trying to bail out the boat. Where was Jesus? It says, Jesus. And I love this. But he was in the stern where? Asleep where? On the pillow. And I I love, or on the cushion, I love Mark's account because it's like an eyewitness account. He got it right from Peter. And he adds little details like that. During the feeding of the 5,000, he said, and they sat on the green grass. And I just love that. He was in the stern, under the cover, asleep on the cushion. Sound. Asleep. All right. Let's get real. You ever had problems rolling your way and you're right in the middle of them? And you're wondering, what's God up to? Does God see me? Is He asleep? Is He minding? Is He is He off somewhere doing something else? Where is God in all this? You ever felt that way? Well, the disciples felt that way, right in the middle of this boat. <laughs> so they said to him, "Now check this out, Teacher. Do you not care?" That we are perishing. So he, they asked him a question. But was this really a question? Was this really a question? No. What was it? A statement, an accusation. That's right. Sometimes questions that end in a question mark aren't really questions. Sometimes when my wife and I are going to go out on a date, I'll go into my closet and pick something I think looks nice, and walk out. And guess what I hear? Are you wearing that? Now, is that a question? No. It's a statement. That either means try again, let me help you, or it's time to go to the optometrist to get your color blindness checked. Sometimes questions can be rhetorical. They mean more than just asking a question. And in this case, it's actually an accusation. Why? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, let me tell you this. We talked a minute ago about sometimes we wonder where God is when we're going through storms. But if you're honest, sometimes if you're like me, you're tempted to think, does God really care? Why has he let this happen? Why doesn't he stop it? And we start thinking, if God were good, he would do it this, and he would do this, and he would do this. Therefore, he's not doing what I think he should do. Therefore... I got a problem. And maybe we don't say it from our lips, <laughs> but sometimes, if you're honest, you feel it in your heart. You know, Satan Satan is a clever being. Satan is the enemy of all good. And sometimes we think that Satan, you know, throws hard circumstances our way to throw us off course. Yes, Satan can make our lives miserable, but you know what? You know what his real objective is? Your mind. It's not so much the storms that get in your way that are from Satan, it's the thoughts that you have during the storm that come from Satan. If God really cared, He would do something. How could a good God let you get in this? And He makes you, or He tempts you to doubt the goodness of God, and He gets you to doubt the sovereignty of God, and he gets you to doubt the love of God. And folks, that's just, that's dangerous, dangerous ground. But you know why? Because self-pity is a form of rebellion against God. It is. It's a passive-aggressive form of rebellion. And those thoughts can come into your head, but let me tell you, you need to put on your armor of God And you need to address those thoughts one by one. And you may say, well, David, there are times when I don't feel that way. No. You've got to start here. And you've got to say. And and if you have to call Taylor, you have to call a pastor to help you, you've got to walk through. God is good, and I'm going through a hard time. And you walk through it like that. That is true spiritual warfare. Why? Because Satan goes after your mind. Because if he gets your mind then he can move you and boss you around and do whatever he wants to in your life. So be very careful of that. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It says then, Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And that word great is the same adjective that was used up above when it talked about the great storm or the great windstorm. It's the same word. They had a great storm, then they had a great calm. It was like whoosh, and it was done. Now, why did the storm cease? Let me give you a little illustration here. I love to run. And one of the things that I'm always aware of when I'm running are animals that may be loose. Now, in Tennessee, we didn't have leash loss. So running from animals and dodging animals, that was just part of it. There'd be stray dogs around. But in Dallas, it's rare. But a couple of years ago, I was running in my neighborhood. And, you know, I was running up a hill, cycling up. And before I knew it, about three houses up the hill, the front door flew open. And guess what? This huge Rottweiler dog comes running in the yard. And he was smart. He didn't come at me where I was because I was running. He knew exactly the, the trajectory to take to meet me at where I was going to be when I passed his house. He was a smart dog. So, I'm, of course, I'm thinking okay, what am I going to do here? I guess I could. Try to fight the dog, but that's not going to go well for the dog or for me. I could turn around and run, but if that happens, dogs usually chase if you run. What am I going to do? So I'm running, thinking through what I'm going to do, and all of a sudden, I hear this this voice, Millie, stop! And you know what happened? That dog stopped on a dime and sat in the yard. And the lady looked at it and I was like, Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Why did the dog stop? Because the dog knew its master's voice. Why did the wind and the waves stop? Because they knew. Their master's voice. And they obeyed immediately. So Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves. It's almost like he told them to hush. Hush up, be still. That's what we'd say in East Tennessee. Hush up. And they did. So he rebuked the wind and the waves. But then notice what he says. But he said to the disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, was Jesus mad that the disciples woke him up? I don't believe so. It's the way they woke him up. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The word faith means trust. And when the disciples woke him up, they were not trusting that Jesus could take care of the problem however he saw fit. Now notice how the disciples react. It said they feared exceedingly. That word that word, that phrase feared exceedingly. That's a greater fear than they had of the storm. So when the storm was going on, their eyes were the size of silver dollars. But when they saw what happened with Jesus, their their eyes got the size of saucers. Why? Because you can explain a storm, but you can't explain what just happened when Jesus gave the command. And the worst storm that they ever saw immediately ceased. They couldn't explain that. They were terrified, and notice what they said. Who can this be that even the wind and the what and the sea obey him? Life lesson for the disciples wasn't just an ordinary man in their boat. It was God Almighty, who created the wind and the waves and everything else in the world, and not only created it holds it all together and you guys have had Dr. Toussaint enough praise God he's with the Lord today to know that God is sovereign and God is in control no matter what our fears tell us no matter what our hearts tell us and I don't believe that storm just happened I believe it was the sovereign act of God to teach the disciples a lesson about themselves and about Jesus. Now, just a few lessons. I'm shutting my Bible, but this is kind of the meat of what I'm led to say. A couple of lessons from you. Number one, storms don't discriminate. Just because you're a believer in Christ doesn't make you exempt from storms. They come to Christians, non-Christians, they come to everybody. Everybody goes through storms. You'll hear some, if you watch TV enough, you'll see some teaching that would make you think, once you trust Christ, life's a breeze. God shelters you from the storms. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. He walks through the storm with you. When my wife and I were on our honeymoon, we got to visit the captain's, uh, on the deck where the captain was and at on, on that day when we visited there was a hurricane about 300 miles south of where we were and we and we got to see the little hurricane on the radar and we saw where we are and it looked like it was headed for us and so i asked the captain i said captain if the hurricane came near us could we outrun the hurricane and he said oh no this boat wasn't built to run away from a hurricane This boat was built to go through a hurricane. Folks, the Christian life is not designed for us to be exempt from or to run from storms. The Christian life and your walk with God fortifies you to go through storms. Hand in hand with Jesus, just like the disciples went through that storm with Jesus on their boat. But you may say, well, David, why isn't he stopping the storm? He stopped their storm. Why isn't he stopping mine? (laughs) Well, there are several reasons that God sends storms your way. But let me say first, I'm not trying to tell you why you've gone through a storm or are going through a storm. I'm not going to play God and tell you why. Did Job ever find out The real reason why he went through what he did. Did he ever find out in this life? No. God never told him what had happened to make all his suffering happen. God didn't tell him that. Sometimes we don't know. So I'm going to list these things very briefly, but I'm not trying to prescribe it. But maybe you'll identify with one or two of these. Okay? First reason... That I came up with that God allows us to go through storms is to humble us. To humble us and to remind us that he is God and guess what? We are not. There's some things in this life and some people in this life that we can't predict, we cannot avoid, and we cannot control. And there are some situations that we cannot fix. Many of you men, maybe you're like me, you're Mr. Fix-It. The moment your wife brings up a problem, what are you doing in your mind? How can I fix it? How can I help her solve the problem so we can move on? But guess what? There's some storms in this life that you can't fix, that you can't cure, that you can't avoid. They're right there. And you just have to go through them. And when they come, you have to once again learn and apply. Sometimes the only thing you can do is trust and obey and run to God and depend on him to get you through it. So sometimes he sends a storm to humble us. Sometimes God sends a storm our way. To sanctify us. Now you say, David, why did you use a seminary word? Sanctify us. All that means is to make you more like Jesus. That's, all, that's my simple definition of that. You say, well, David, how does that work? Well, when we come to Christ and we put our trust in him, guess what? God deliver, deliver us, delivers us from the penalty of sin. Okay, amen? When we come to Christ... And we put our faith in him. He saves us and rescues us from the penalty of sin, everlasting separation from him in a place the Bible calls hell. But we still are dealing with the power of sin in our life. But God is at work delivering us from the power of sin as well. It doesn't all happen at once. I wish it did. But there is still mess, there are still sins in our life. And some of them are really hard. Some of them are really deep in our hearts, like bitterness or pride. And they're so far in our hearts. And you know the problem with pride is pride is the one disease that makes everyone in the room sick except the one that has it. (laughs) So there's some sins that are so entrenched in our heart and so deep in there that God has to allow a mess or a storm out here to get to the mess in here. To humble us, to help us to depend on him, and to help us deal with the sin that was in, that's in our heart. The third reason I came up with is sometimes God allows a storm in your life to strengthen you to strengthen you, meaning sometimes he allows hard things, bad things in your life, to prepare you for an assignment he has for you down the road. You'll find this all through the Bible. Think of Joseph. Did Joseph have an easy life before he ascended to the prime minister of all of Egypt? Did he? Oh, absolutely not. Betrayed by his family, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into jail, forgotten in jail. Was God trying to be mean? No. God used that to what? To humble him, to deal with him, and to prepare him, what? For the role that he had for him. Okay, before I get to the last one, I want to say this, some of you have children and grandchildren, and you've noticed a pattern in their life. They've gone through storm after storm after storm. And I don't know who this is for, but this is something God laid on my heart, kind of a last minute thing. Someone in here, I believe, or several of you have consistently bailed them out of their storms over and over and over again. Now, let me tell you this. The next time you're even tempted to bail someone out of their storm, you get before your knees before God Almighty, and you pray for his direction because he might be using something, a storm in their life, as one of his tools to do something in their life. And you constantly bailing them out may be interfering in the very work that God's trying to do in their life. Does that make sense? And I'm not telling you to say no, but yes or no, get on your knees and ask for God's wisdom. Ask for God's guidance you may be interfering in something that he's been trying to do for years and you may say oh david they might hit rock bottom maybe that's what they need because there's two good things about rock bottom one is the only place you can look is up not to you but to god and two as you know in texas when you're doing foundation work and you want to build you better find rock bottom Or five years down the road, you're going to have a problem. So that's a freebie. I got that one last minute. So I'm not trying to play God with you and tell you why you're storms, but sometimes God sends storms our way to humble us, to make us more like Jesus, to strengthen you, and finally, storms sometimes come our way to equip you. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is some people in this room have been through some storms. You've seen some stuff. You've gone through some hard times. You've learned a few lessons on the way. And God has used it in your life to strengthen your faith and strengthen your relationship with him. Faith is not something that's meant to be kept to ourselves. Perhaps one of the reasons God lets you go through all that is to help others who are in similar situations. that have no idea what to do, where to turn. Perhaps God has allowed you to go through your stuff to help them. And if you come alongside a Christian, it's great because Jesus is already on their boat. Let's go to him. Let's go to him now. But if the person is not a Christian, guess what? Jesus is not on their boat. So, Yeah, reach out and help with the intention of bringing them to Jesus Christ so that they can live the rest of our life with him on their boat. I can't imagine going through some of the stuff I have if Jesus had not been on my boat. Situations I couldn't control, situations that I couldn't avoid, that would surely have finished me had it not been for the grace of God And Jesus Christ holding my hand and walking with me every step of the way in his grip. Folks, we need to get the word out to people that don't have that. I've included one little thing. This is what we do at Avantel. If you say, David, I would love to know how to introduce someone to Jesus Christ. I would love to be able to do that. Check out this little handout I brought front and back. What Avantel offers you in evangelism. We would love to help you as a class, as we've done before, as well as help you as an individual to be able to point people to the master of the storm, Jesus Christ. And by the way, some of our most effective work around the world are in countries where storms are going on. In the Sudan, where there's constant fighting and refugee crisis. We're partnering with organizations that are taking the gospel into those areas. When you hear about a hurricane or a typhoon hitting the Philippines, guess what? We've got people on the ground there who are giving aid but also giving the gospel. Same thing in uh, Myanmar when that big cyclone hit several years ago. Guess what? Vantel was right there providing the materials they needed to point people to the master of the storm. So we're finishing early today. That's a present I've got for you for St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) But I just want to pray for you real quick. Wherever you are, if you've just come out of a storm, you're getting ready to go into one, and many times we don't even know that we're getting ready to go into one, and you find yourself in one, or you're in one right now, or if your kids, grandkids, someone that you know is in a storm, let me pray for you right now. Father God, I just thank you for your word that strengthens us, uh, that gives us hope, uh, knowing, Father, that you are the master of the storm, that all things are in your control, God. And not only are all things in your control, God, but you have us in the palm of your hand, in your grip. So I just praise you for that, and I pray for the people here. And, Father, I don't know where they are in their life, whether they're in a storm, coming out of a storm or what. But I pray that, you, pray that you would surround them with your peace. I pray that you would raise up people around them with wise counsel. And they could just pour um, their hearts out to you and trust in you to get them through, God. Because as someone wisely said, this too shall pass. So I just pray for them now. Strengthen them. Give them your peace. And may you use their situation, God, ultimately for your glory and honor so that they can come here one of these weeks and stand up and give testimony to your faithfulness and your goodness. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.